Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Emily Tate, a reporter here covering K-12 education. Jamie Wong Baeza had been dreaming of her first year as a teacher since she was seven years old, when she would line up her stuffed animals and launch into a lesson. Jerry Zamora recalls doing a similar thing with their toys when they were little, except they counted their younger brother among one of their earliest pupils. For Hannah Long, the calling didn't come as early. She tried her hand as an artist for a few years before she returned to school to become a teacher. What binds these three educators together is that, for each of them, last year was their first year in the classroom. And what a wild time to start a teaching career it was. Each entered the school year last fall filled with excitement, eagerness, and nerves. They didn't quite know what to expect, what kind of students they'd have in class, what crises may come up, where they would succeed or fall short. And none of them could have predicted the arrival of a global pandemic that would force schools nationwide to close their doors and develop remote learning plans on the fly. First-year teachers already face many challenges. The job is unpredictable, and for newcomers, that can be intimidating. Over the summer, I interviewed nine teachers whose first years were interrupted by COVID-19 last spring. We published the story this week at EdSurge. You can read the full piece at bit.ly slash teaching during COVID. That's bit.ly slash teaching during COVID. For many, the first semester was all about getting the hang of things, learning how to juggle after-hours responsibilities like grading and emailing, establishing their teaching styles, and building relationships with students. By the time they started the second semester, most felt like, finally, they had figured it out. But then COVID-19 changed everything. On today's podcast, we hear from three of the teachers I spoke to about the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned from their first year teaching, face-to-face and from a distance. But first, let's get to know them, starting with Jamie Wong Baeza, a 7th grade math teacher from Waco, Texas, the one who used to teach in front of her stuffed animals prior to COVID was probably like one of the best first years I could have ever expected. Um, I know that a lot of people say first year teaching is really difficult and it it was, but all things considered, I had really great um, school community, just really supportive administration, um, a great grade level team, students who I was able to build relationships with. So overall, it was um, a really enjoyable experience. I definitely learned a lot and was constantly um, having to transform my classroom and change things. But um, overall, it was enjoyable. It was um, definitely challenging and stretching, but allowed me to use a lot of the things I learned. Um, And it was cool just to finally be in a classroom like, wow, after learning all this theory and you know you learn from textbooks and you watch videos and case studies and like here I am finally teaching. Jamie says her favorite thing about the first year really the first semester was getting to know her students. That included figuring out how to work with students one-on-one and navigating the tricky teacher-student dynamic. We went out for spring break everything was totally normal like our day before spring break we had a kind of like celebratory um, field trip because the students, uh, we had a school-wide initiative for the students to read Call of the Wild and we had a lot of like literary discussions about it. So right before spring break, we all went to the movie theaters and we watched Call of the Wild. So the kids are like so excited, everyone's having a great time. And then it's like, okay, bye, see you after spring break. Um, And well, that's when all the COVID stuff hit. In what was originally intended as a short period of online teaching around spring break, 
became no more in-person teaching for the rest of the school year. And for her district, the teachers didn't even have any more live online calls. Everything was asynchronous, meaning students and teachers could work at their own pace. Which was really hard. It was like, oh, this is the reason I got into teaching, and now it's completely taken away. So how do we still remember and realize there's a student behind the screen like who is responding to all these things even when we can't see them? And like I... I definitely understand why our district did this. There was a lot of things about like, you don't know what the family home situation is like. Um, and a lot of things can happen when you're live with students on the screen. And middle school is kind of funky because I have 140 students. And so to try to get all of them online at one time to listen to instruction is kind of crazy. Um, but when I think about next year, like if we don't have any sort of online, like face to face, if we do have to go online, I don't know how that will work, especially if it's with students who I've never met in the flesh before. For Jerry Zamora, a 10th grade U.S. history teacher, things went differently, but that was after an already turbulent year. Jerry is a Chicago public schools teacher in a neighborhood school on the southeast side of Chicago known as George Washington High School. So for context, like I am a first-generation college students. Um, I'm the first one in my family to get like, I guess you could say like a professional job. Uh, and I am doing something that I really love. Like I was someone that always wanted to be a teacher. Just a couple months into Jerry's teaching career last October, Chicago public schools teachers started talking about going on strike. And then, you know, talks about the strike in Chicago, you know, we're like, was going to happen. I was like, all right, like, that's fine. I can handle a strike, you know, something to tell people. Like, this is what I, th- I was thinking. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to tell people 20 years from now I had, I was a part of a strike. And now I'm like, oh, geez, like, now I can't wait to tell people I was a part of a strike and a pandemic uh, all in my first year. So the first, you know, after the strike, after that, after that calmed down, unfortunately, too, at my school, we'd had um, some other tragedies due to gun violence. Um, like in between that and then before then, uh, a really terrible accident had happened where we lost two students. Um, so we had a very heavy year already as a school. And then the shift to remote learning happened. And like we're not like some schools in CPS, you know, that have, you know, grants or funding um, are fortunate enough to have like one to one schools, right? Like where technology is widely available. But like in our case, like it was it was a cluster for the first you know, few weeks. I'm lucky enough that I speak Spanish and I have my bilingual ed endorsement. So because I'm Latina and also in the community I serve, like where I teach is also um, Latinx. Um, they, I was able to like contact families and my coworkers are lovely people. We set up a solidarity fund um, at our school too, to like help support families. Um, and we, we also demanded like paper copies to made it, be made accessible and stuff. So like people who uh, needed to get that done, you know, were able to do that. In Northern California, Hannah Long was trying to figure out not just teaching, but remote learning. She was working with transitional kindergartners and kindergartners who are four and five years old. This was for a school just a few miles away from the one she went to when she was a kid. Um, it's a one-school school district, and um, we serve about 75 of our uh, population as Coast Guard students. We um, are share a fence with the Coast Guard. Much of her first year of teaching was devoted to classroom management, figuring out how to work with children who have behavioral issues and finding different strategies that helped with that. Our last week before spring break was the last week we were in school. Um, so there were half days. We had conferences. I mean, COVID happened and we were told we all had to have websites. 
So we made websites and then we were told, no, we're using Google Classroom. So we scrapped our websites and did, made a Google Classroom. And then we were told, oh, I think um, six of my kids didn't have internet or devices. Well, and it was probably more like 10 kids either didn't have a device, internet, or accessibility, like their parents had an iPad, but they had to use it or laptops, things like that. Um, so almost half of my class struggled with that. So it was like, so then we were doing paper packets um, as well as having all the information online. Even when students did have their devices and the materials, it was a challenge to keep them engaged from a distance. They got over very quickly doing anything academic, so that was hard. Um, you know, I guess the, the buy-in wasn't there. When I teach in my classroom, I can give them games that they don't realize that they're learning, and we can, you know, I'm really enthusiastic, and there was less of that. I asked each of these teachers what the hardest part of remote learning was for them. For Hannah, a big stress was trying to put aside her own COVID-related concerns while being present for the kids. Like, during that time, it uh, was floating around the, like, idea that it's okay to not be okay, and that's very untrue for, like, when I had a Zoom call, there was no not being okay, you know, or no texting the parents being like, I'm having a bad day, <laughs> like, your child doesn't get to learn today, you know, that sort of thing, so that was hard because it's like, I have a life, like, I have a mom with cancer, my wedding was being canceled, you know, I'm scared, like, it was a scary time, and so to be like, everything is fine, and to reinforce, like, it's gonna be okay, and, like, to try to explain that to kids was difficult. Most of it was difficult. <laughs> there was very few. The only positive thing was that I guess I got to make my schedule and, like, the way I learn best, you know, I guess, or teach best. That was, like, the only nice thing, but everything else pretty much was hard. For Jerry, one of the greatest challenges was watching the other teachers around them struggle. Burnout, I mean, I think from remote learning was is very real. I mean, as a, I think I... I'm not sure what about my experience made it so bearable. I mean, there are certain things I know, like I had, I had a lot of community support. I have really lovely people in my life that um, were willing to hear me out, like to like all my frustrations um, when I needed support during this time. But like some of my like coworkers who are veteran teachers were having an incredibly difficult time through this. Um, and like, I saw, like, I made the comparison to them that it just felt like I was seeing all these lovely plants like wilt. And I, it killed me because like, you know, I'm just a sapling. I want to grow up to be like them. And if I'm seeing them wilt, I mean, it's going to be, it, it's, it's discouraging. Um, but I think like there, we got to a point, especially to having these constant conversations with each other once a week, we got to a point where we're like, well, remote learning is just like, it, we're, we're just doing our best. Like, we're not going to, if we go in with these expectations of like how it's going to go, I mean, at least like for some of my teacher friends and I, we were just like, well, we, we have to just put ourselves out there and make the time for them. And if they come perfect, but like the students, um, but they're also, I mean, it's a pandemic on their end too. A lot of like, at least my kids for sure, like that I was able to keep in contact with, they were going through a lot of battles. In Texas, Jamie was worried about not being able to see her students at all, not even on screen. She hadn't seen them since before spring break. Some of them were struggling with their math, but others had much bigger matters to deal with. One was the relationships, of course, again, just not being able to check in and see how they're doing. And also learning from administrators or later hearing from like distressed parents saying like, 
I'm so sorry, like we haven't had electricity or we have five kids and they're all sharing one computer and they're all trying to figure out how to do online school or like, oh yeah, he's taking care of his four younger siblings and that's why he hasn't been doing his math homework. And you're like, oh, like there's so much more to the school dynamic and day and what that looks like for students when they have to do it from home. So that was really difficult, I think, hearing, um, like, oh yeah, well, it was good because it would help me remember like what's really important in this time. Um, but also just not having those face-to-face check-ins, like how are you doing and thinking about my students who um, had hard home lives or just would get really frustrated when they do mathematics and not being able to just like pull them aside and be like, hey, you're doing great. You're going to be okay. So um, relationships for sure was a big one. And then um, I think for me personally, was just balancing this tension, managing the ideas of wanting to like be a great teacher in terms of content, make sure they get the instruction that they need, teach all the tweaks that I wanted to teach and do all the activities. And then having to balance that with like, oh, so much grace for them and for myself when a lesson totally flopped and like, wow, I just wasted a whole week of instruction because I don't get them back till next week. That was really hard. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm totally failing as a teacher. But having to reconcile that with, okay, everybody's learning. We're doing the best we can do. At the end of the day, if the students don't know this one concept, they're probably going to be okay. So um, just having to, yeah, really balance that. They're trying to learn. I'm trying to teach. We're all doing our best here, and they're going to get it eventually. Hannah, the preschool teacher in California, wrapped up her first year feeling a bit hopeless and incomplete. She's also worrying about what this fall will look like, given that remote learning will be the reality for many schools when classes resume. Well, the hard part about next year is, like, the reason remote learning worked, I think, this well, this well this year is because I knew all my kids, right? Like they they desperately missed me, right? I mean, I got so many cards like, we miss you. And you know, I mean, like when they're that little, like like we have a joke in my classroom, it's like I'm their second mama, I'm their school mama. You know, like I don't have kids of my own, but I have 20 kids. You know, like I'm responsible for them during the day and their well-being and you know, help shape the way they think, like, that's a big responsibility, and, like, to not see them, and, you know, worry about them from home, is it's odd. I mean, not only that, right, and it's like, okay, so next year I'll be a second year teacher. I mean, just, that's not what parents want, right? <laughs> it's like, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be on, like, a pilot's first plane, you know, flight, so um, it's hard to, like, you know, I kind of had to win over my parents, and I did a lot of them, um, but it's like, how do you do that? And set up classroom. Like the beginning of Patike is like, this is what we do in class. And it's repeating myself over and over again. Like we sit crisscross applesauce with our hands in our laps, our mouths are closed, like our eyes are on me. Over and over and over again. Like that's how we be a student. Like this is how we student. And like, and then forming classroom community, like that one student I said that was having a really hard time developmentally. Um, we do classroom meetings in our class, well, in person. We did them online too, but they don't work as well. Um, and she gave her first, like, good morning, my name is, this is what I think. And my entire class was like, great job, like, you did it. Like, so supportive. And I don't know how I can do that virtually. So that's like, how do you create a class, like a strong classroom bond and a bond with your kids over a computer? Despite the enormous and unexpected challenges that arose during the school year, many first-year teachers used it as an opportunity to reflect and grow. I think at the end of the year, 
it helped reconfirm that I am in teaching for the reasons I am in teaching, um, just with relationships and being able to see students learn and grow and develop um, has been so big for me, just even from the first day to pre-COVID, the last time I saw them in person, and then even online, seeing the students grow um, and develop, not just in content, but just as mature human beings, um, was really sweet. And I, I think, especially because COVID took some of that away, it made me realize, like, I really, really am here for relationships, because if that was all taken away, it would be a lot harder to believe deeply in what I do. If anything, I am thankful for this. Um, no one would ever wish it upon anyone else. But after looking back and reflecting on it, there are a lot of things that I've been able to learn. And I know, I feel like if we're able to get through this crazy time, like we'll be able to get through anything in the future. So even though it has been challenging and unique in many ways, I think it is setting me up um, to be more flexible in the future for any type of situation that might come up in the classroom. So I am thankful for that. Um, and I'm also thankful that it wasn't like at the end of my teaching career, because that would also be very difficult to have something so drastic come at the end. So if anything, I think it's a good thing that it came at the very beginning. Jerry also says that the school year, though trying, was incredibly validating. I now I for sure it's 100% ingrained that this was the job I was meant to do. If I could handle this, I could handle anything. Um, <laughs> so I think and I, I think that goes to anyone else who's still really into this profession at the end of this. Like if we could handle this, like the world's our oyster, you know? So, um, yeah. So highlights, I think it's that in both, I mean, was that despite all the changes? Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I feel less of an imposter syndrome that like what I'm doing is great. Jerry also says that this was the first time in their adult life to not be working and studying simultaneously, which gave them some time and space for personal reflection. Just throughout it. So I had more time to think about who I am and what my identity is. And like, so most of all, like I know I'm a teacher, but even like my, my gender identity has always been something I kind of questioned. So that was always something. So like I identify as non-binary. Yeah. So in next year, uh, this is really big on a personal note that I, my, I've told my coworkers, at least my department knew that I identified as non-binary um, before this had all happened because I mentioned it to them uh, beginning of the year. I wasn't out to students. I wasn't out to school, but I kind of wanted to get a vibe for how they would take it. Because um, even though it's not necessarily like I'm just Jerry, that's just this how I see myself. And um, I thought it'd be like important for them to know. And um, they, they were fine with it, but it, so... After that, I was like really reflecting on, especially during the pandemic, like how I want to present myself in the classroom and like how, what my kids need. And although like at the beginning of the year, I just, you know, was just Miss Samora because I didn't want to, um, I guess I didn't want to be seen as non-binary because I didn't know how people would take it. Um, I, after this year, I, I, after all of it, I'm like, I don't really care what people think if they think something negative. And I think there's a lot of students that I have that could benefit from knowing that they have a queer teacher. So this, you know, fall 2020, I'll be make my debut as Mix Zamora. But um, yeah, so that was, I think, the biggest thing I learned this year was that I learned to care a lot about my, but more about myself, despite it all. <laughs> I found the experience of first year teachers in particular to be fascinating. 
What a strange, stressful time to start a career in education. And yet so many of them found silver linings in the struggle. They learned more about themselves. They overcame insecurities about their fitness for the job. They realized that meeting students' emotional and mental health needs is often more important than hitting academic benchmarks. As we enter a new school year, I worry about this next crop of first-time teachers. Many of them won't have the chance to get to know their students in person and build relationships with them at all before they start remote learning, the way Jamie did. Many won't have time to establish themselves and create a classroom community, the way Hannah did. They won't be able to pick up on students' body language and moods in the same way, the way Jerry learned to. Once again, we find ourselves in uncharted territory, and that can be scary. But I find comfort knowing that if all teachers, young and old, new and veteran, approach their work with the same compassion, care, and patience that Jamie, Jerry, and Hannah do, it will all, somehow, be okay. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Each week we bring you conversations like this one. So if you like what you heard, you can keep up with future episodes by subscribing on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. This episode was edited by me, Emily Tate, and produced by Jeff Young. If you want to read the full story on first-year teachers, please go to bit.ly slash teaching during COVID. We'll be back next week with more on the future of education. Thanks for listening.